But we are going to be covering verses 15 through 23 this morning. This is from the ESV translation. For this reason, the reason from the part before that we talked about last week, the reason that Paul loves these people, he says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, and what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe according to the working of His great might, that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And He put all things under His feet and gave Him as head over all things to the church which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. In the original Greek, that's one sentence, of course. Paul loves really, really long sentences. But there is so much wonder here this morning. And let's dig together into the wonder of this passage. It's a prayer. That's what it is. And it's a prayer in this book that is all about God's riches. We've talked about that before, the book of Ephesians. The main theme running through it is the riches of God that are given to us. God is the wealthy one, and the things that He has are passed on to us. Primarily in chapter 1, as we studied the last couple of weeks, through His work of salvation. And He is the one who is the great actor. He is the one who finds people, who chooses people, who redeems people. We saw all about that in the last couple of weeks. Now today, I want to focus on something in particular that Paul hones in on. He's praying for the church, this this church in Ephesus. And he says, I I want y'all to get some stuff. So, I pray for all of y'all in here on a regular basis. And so, my prayer today is that in the same way that Paul prayed for this church in Ephesus, that you would get some stuff this morning. That the lights would come on for you this morning. So that is my prayer. You know what? I'm going to pray it right now. Lord God, I pray for all of us in here that by the power of Your Spirit, working through Your living and active Word, that the lights would come on. And that when the lights are on, Lord, that they would be brighter and burn more passionately, burn like a fire so that we can see you in all of your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The main thing I'm going to focus on today is the explosive power of God. That's what Paul talks about here. He uses two Greek words, dunamis. It's kind of where we get our word dynamite. And then he uses megamus, which is like megaton. So he's saying the power of God is megaton dynamite. And what does it blow up? I'll tell you what it blows up. Our fear. 
It blows up our fear and it draws us right into God's arms. Here are a few things that we fear that Paul's going to deal with this morning. We fear the darkness. We fear what lives in hiding. We fear the things we hide. And we fear the things that other people hide from us. And we fear what's hiding in the shadows. So we fear the darkness. We fear death. I mean, come on. None of us escapes the fear of death. It's a part of the human experience. And then finally, we fear destiny often. We fear, what in the world does the future hold for me and my family, my kids, my friends, whatever it might be? But this passage, Paul is praying, he's saying, God does not want you to fear in those ways. God can break through by his power and truly change you so that you are not fearful in any of those ways. That's going to be our outline for today. The power of God over darkness, the power of God over death, and the power of God over destiny. You can find that in your little insert in the bulletin this morning. But here's our starting point. God's power over darkness. We've already studied how God breaks in and removes some of the darkness from our lives in the first part of Ephesians. Basically, God redeems. He steps into the human heart, and you know what he does? He flips a light switch. I don't know what kind of light switches you all have in your homes, but have you ever seen the ones where on the bottom part of the light switch, it's a clicker, and it's like back, forth, on, off? And then right above it is a slider that goes like this. You know, you kind of move it up and down. I don't know if anybody has those in their houses. I love those. They're so sweet. Because you can turn it on, and then you can be like, you know what? I'm not in that mood. I'm in that mood. And then I might be in that mood later, but I'm going to move it down a little bit right now. Love them. But that's essentially how God works in our hearts, and that's essentially what Paul's praying for this morning. We've already looked at the fact that God is the one who switches the light on. Turning a person from works of darkness, living in darkness, being lost and away from God, and he moves them towards God. And he puts them in his presence. And he says, I am going to change your life. Then, this is our passage today. The Holy Spirit comes in and begins to slide up the slider. When we first become Christians, we don't know that much about God. It's like a baby being born. It's all just sort of a blur and, you know, oh, I don't know what's going on. The only thing they do is know how to eat. That's it. That's all they know how to do is milk. But Paul uses this illustration throughout the scriptures and he says, but there's more coming. There's meat coming later on. And here's what Paul's saying in this one. He's saying, and the light is going to get brighter and you are going to get an even deeper vision of who God is and your life is going to be changed in even more powerful ways. It doesn't stop when the light comes on. God keeps cranking up and killing the darkness. Now, how does that happen? Well, let's, let's, let's look at this concept. Darkness is hiddenness. You know, I love the quote that, um, I don't remember who it was. Y'all might know. But that quote that says, a person is only as sick as their secrets. You heard that one? Who said that? Anybody? Anyway, I love it. And it's essentially what Paul's saying here. Darkness is hiddenness. Hear it from Romans. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. We're going to see it again in Ephesians chapter 4. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their hearts. Jesus Christ, the light, came into the world and people rejected him because they loved the darkness and did not want to bring their deeds into the light, says John. Right? He, he, we hide things. 
Jesus talked about it all the time. He's like, yeah, fine. You don't go out and actually commit adultery. And you don't go out and actually murder people, but you do it in your heart. There's a whole bunch of darkness down in there. And there are things that if we brought them into the light today for every person in this room, certainly including me, we'd all be embarrassed, right? We'd be ashamed of the dark thoughts of our hearts. And you know it's true for the people around you too. Their hearts are also thinking dark things. It's a tough reality that the Bible brings before us. That there is this path of darkness. We have all felt it. I don't know where you are today in particular with the hiddenness of the darkness in your own heart. But I'm telling you, the prayer for Paul, for you, the prayer for me, for you, and for myself, is that God would light it up. Nobody wants it lighted up, y'all. It's tough. It's tough. It burns it away. But the Bible is clear about one thing. The The Holy Spirit has lots of roles. The primary role for the Holy Spirit is to light things up. And what's the first thing that happens when the Holy Spirit lights things up? It's this thing called conviction of sin. That's the first role, primary role of the Holy Spirit. You feel bad. <laughs> you actually, your eyes are opened to this darkness that, that Paul is talking about here. See, before the Holy Spirit flicks on the lights, you don't even know what you're doing is wrong. You don't even have that conviction. The, but the Holy Spirit comes in and says, Mm-mm, no, I'm going to do a work in you. I am making you more like Christ. And God is going to reveal more and more of his glory to you. So that's one of the things the Holy Spirit does when he turns the light on. And that is precisely what Paul is praying for here this morning. He says, I want you to get that wisdom and that revelation of the knowledge of God. And I want you to have the eyes of your heart enlightened. But it doesn't just end with conviction of sin. That's one of the things the Holy Spirit does in enlightening our hearts. The other things Paul is going to mention here this morning. There's three of them. And I'm going to run through them really quick because we're focused on power this morning. There are three things Paul, he's praying for people to see by the light that God is going to shine into their hearts. He says, I want you to see the hope to which God has called you. He he says, I want you to see the riches of God's inheritance in the saints. And he says, I want you to see the power of God over death as displayed through Jesus Christ. These are are things Paul's saying, please, Holy Spirit, for all of us, for y'all, for me, please begin to move this dial up, this in the, in the light of our hearts, so that our eyes, the, of our hearts, are just blown wide open, and we say, yes, what a hope I have in Christ. Talked about that last week. The hope we have in Christ, y'all, changes our present reality dramatically. It's like the, the illustration I gave last week of a person who's working a menial job that's difficult, and it's hot in there, and they get, they, they've been told at the end of the year you get $10,000. There's another person working in the identical situation in the room next to them, and it's been told to them that at the end of the year they get a billion dollars. Their jobs are dramatically different after that point because hope changes our present reality. And and Paul is praying for the people in his church here. I'm praying for y'all. May that hope get you. May it be a light, a blazing light in your life to where whatever menial task you've been called to or whatever hard person that you've been called to love or whatever difficult situation that God is pushing you into, that you're able to say, hey, this is nothing compared to the glory that's coming. I got this because of the hope that is within me. So that's the first thing Paul prays for the people. The lights would come on, and that hope would just beam into their life, into their face. Then he says, okay, next, the glorious inheritance in the saints. 
Y'all, this is talking not about our inheritance. This is talking about God's inheritance. We mentioned this last week too, which is why I'm moving through it quickly. We are, those who are redeemed by Christ, are the wealth of God. God considers Himself rich because of the people that He redeems for Himself. In other words, you have incredible, incredibly high value. Like no matter how bad you feel about yourself today, the Bible is telling you you have incredible worth and value. And you need to, and, and Paul is praying by the Holy Spirit that that would beam into your life this morning, that it would shine brightly, that you would wake up in the morning and be like, holy mackerel, God loves me. I am his treasure. I am, I am the apple of his eye. He just can't get enough of me. And guess what happens when you get that kind of love in your life? You get empowered. You can go out and do that thing that you didn't want to do before because you know the love of God is for me, right? It's like when our parents are sitting on the sideline of our sports games, right? That shot just feels more exciting that you made from long-range distance. That, you know, that great block that you had on the, on the offensive team just feels so good because your parents are sitting on the sideline and you know they love you. And it's like, yes, I'm empowered to play my best because of the love that is on the sidelines for me. That's exactly where God is in our lives. And he's not totally on the sidelines, don't hear me wrong. But he is looking at us and he's saying, well done, good and faithful servant. He is for you and he loves you. And my goodness, just bask in that light. Holy Spirit, beam it to us. Finally, and this is where we're going to focus the rest of our time today. He says, He prays for the Ephesian church. He says, Holy Spirit, beam into their hearts this incredible power that you have. Okay, let's talk about that because power is a little bit abstract. Okay, let's bring it home and make it a little more concrete. Superheroes. Anybody like superheroes? A new one movie comes out about a superhero about every three months. And you know, they're, they're people that have power. And we talk a little bit differently with superheroes, and we say they have superpowers. I don't know what your favorite is. Andrew, do you have a favorite superhero? Batman, Spider-Man, Superman. You got one, Maggie? Wonder Woman. Amen to that. But here's the deal with power, y'all. Power, in its essence, is basically the ability to act. The ability to do something. Now, superpower is like a really strong and big ability to do something. Like the superheroes that we watch. They lift cars. They shoot a web at someone and smack them against a wall. Or they swoop in because they have the superpower of flying and save the person jumping out of the building. And we love to watch it. And you know why we love to watch it? Because the superpower that all these superheroes are given is the ability to escape death or to save other people and help them escape from death. And I mean, we can watch it over and over and over again. And guess what? The villain, who generally also has superpowers, don't they? What's their goal? Anybody? The villain, what's their goal? Like, take over the world. Yeah, right. Exactly. They want to kill people generally speaking. And usually they have some sort of death ray or death gas or death plan, right? They want to use their power to kill, to act and and to kill. But y'all, what underlies all this power and these superpowers is death. 
The true power would be to beat death. We go to these movies and we're going to watch them more the rest of our lives. And we just like to see people try to cheat death. Even though they never actually do, we can just see it over and over. And the reality comes crashing in after we're done with the superhero movie because we get a phone call and we're on the car on the way home. We find out that our best friend just had a heart attack. And then, boom, death is right there back staring us in the face. The reason Paul does not bring up God's power in creating the universe, God's power in spreading the stars in the sky, God's power in putting all life on the earth, is because Paul knows that that is not the ultimate power. The ultimate power is defeating once and for all death. That is power. And he's saying that is the power of God. God has come in and he says Jesus is the first one. This is God's... So in the Greek, y'all, it doesn't say that God through Jesus Christ has the power over death. In the Greek, it says, through Jesus Christ, God has the power over the dead ones. And the point there is, Jesus is just the first. He is the first of many. This is God bringing his power to bear, and this is number one of millions. Because God is going to defeat the power of death for his people, for those that he has drawn and called to himself. And Paul is praying that the people in this church of Ephesus, and I pray for y'all this morning, that this would sink in and get through. Because death is just stinking scary. I can't stand thinking about it. Christy knows this for myself. I'm a bit of a hypochondriac. Right? I'm like, oh, I've got a pain in my side. And about 10 years ago, when the internet was just, well, it's more than that. 15, 20 years ago, and the internet was just getting going, you know, I started to obsess about this thing called WebMD. And it was like, oh, I got a pain in my side, or oh, I got a little pain in my knee. Could be a sore muscle, WebMD. Also could be rare form of cancer. So I was always like, probably rare form of cancer. And then I would be worried for the next week or so, and I'd be like, you know, I should probably go see a doctor, but hopefully it'll just go away. It's probably a rare form of cancer. When I was in the fourth grade, I used to go into my parents' bedroom, and I'd be like, Mom, I've got a stomachache. And, and they would say, well, okay, great, go to bed. I'd say, no, I think it's cancer. And they, would, they were like, Nathan, it's not cancer. You're four. It's a stomachache. I was like, nope, I think it's cancer. So, so it's traveled with me my entire life. But y'all all know what I'm talking about. You don't escape the fear of death. It's just always there, always in the background, always with us. And God is saying here, Paul is praying here, you don't have to fear death. God has come in and he has conquered it through Jesus Christ. It's done. And Jesus was just the first of many. You, let's read it in the passage here. He says, and what is the megaton, and this is Greek, he's in verse 19, And what is the megaton dynamite of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might? So his point is toward us who believe. It's not just that God displayed his power through Jesus Christ. We get it. We get that same power. And that power works incredibly effectively in the life of God's people. How cool. How cool that God does this for us. That God 
defeats the power of death, and then works that same power into our lives. Amen? Amen. Finally, our last point. Oh, we're looking good. The power over destiny. Okay. Basically, people fall... And this is where... I say the power over destiny, but Paul's getting at it when he says, okay, he worked this power in Christ when he raised him from the dead, and then... He seated Christ at his right hand in the heavenly places, a.k.a. Jesus has kingship and dominion over absolutely everything. He says all things fall under him. He put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Wow. Two categories of people, generally speaking, on the planet. One, I control my own destiny. Go read the self-help section at Barnes & Noble. Okay? I control... It is quintessentially American. I will determine my future. I am strong. I will go get it. If you want it, go grab it. Yes! First buy an F-150 pickup truck so you can have some power to get it done. Right? That's one form of viewing destiny. I'm going to claim my own destiny. Then there's sort of destiny as an impersonal force. Star Wars loves to talk about this. But it's, this, it's a very much kind of an Eastern religion idea. And um, it's getting in touch with the force or the vibes, getting in the flow, feeling the flow, whatever it might be. But both of these have the end result of I am God. In the first one, it's way more blatant. Like, I'm going to control my own destiny. I, I'm going to determine my own future. I'm God. I got this. But the second one's a little more subtle, right? It's, I am going to get subsumed into the godness. But I am still, ultimately, may, I might be a cog in the wheel, but I'm still a part of the wheel, a.k.a. I'm God. The Bible comes in and says, nope, God is utterly different. That's what the word holy means when the Bible calls God holy. He is different. He's other than us. And he comes in, and he, by his power, works this might in Jesus, and both of, the, both of those two destinies are rejected. He says, here's your destiny. Christianity says Jesus is the head and the ruler and the king, and he's totally in charge. And Romans chapter 8 says that he is directing all things for your good. Whoa. Now, you may not feel this on a regular basis. You may not feel this every morning when you wake up, but Romans chapter 8 is extremely clear. And it says God's power is at work for your good. Take God at his word or don't. But that's what it says. Everything that has happened in your life, that is happening in your life, and that is going to happen in your life, is for your good. Because that's what God's power is working in this world around us. He is the one who's in charge of destiny. Now, What does it mean that Christ is our head? If we call ourselves a church, what does it mean that Jesus is our head? A a few things. First, Jesus is the one who gives life to this body. If we are a body of believers, the only reason we have any energy, we have any life, we have any fullness, we have any love for one another is not because we're nice people. It's because the power of Jesus is working among us. And we are able to love one another. He gives life. Next, Jesus also gives direction to the body. I mean, it's a good illustration. Think about it. I'm walking here. 
My brain can go like this. Watch. Watch this. How amazing was that? Thank you very much. Ready? One more time. Ready, Henry? The head, this thing up here, it gives direction to all the other parts, doesn't it? Helps them do their thing, play the guitar, do the piano. The head gives direction. And that's why we are called, when God says, Jesus is your head, it means follow him. Follow him. Follow him with all of your life. Read about him. Study him. Be like him. And then finally, the head also gives care to the body. Y'all, if you chopped your head off, how much care would your hand give to your foot if it got scraped? Not a lot, right? How much care would your ear give to your knee if you chopped your head off? Not much. But we take care of our bodies, don't we? Now, I should run more on the treadmill, okay? Let's just get that out of the way. But in general, we tend to take care of our bodies. We bandage up wounds. We make sure that everything is feeling comfortable. And Jesus does the same thing for his church. He cares for you and for me. And he wants to heal the places in your heart that are still broken. Bring it to him. Bring it to him. Whatever that wound is, he is able and he is willing to fix it. Okay. In conclusion, so what? Okay, so what, Nathan? Okay, God is the one who gives us this light that, that opens up our eyes to his glory and his wonder, to the hope we have in Christ, to the riches that God calls us. He, it, it opens our eyes to his power. But so what? Well, here's what. This is meant to give us as a body, as a community, confidence. We can walk into the very arena of death and say, let's do it. I can, I can go low, I can go hard, and I can do the thing that would cause me suffering when it means love another person. Not because I have any strength within me, but because of what God says in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. It says, my, God says, my power is made perfect in weakness. And we can walk with our weak, broken down selves into whatever situation it is in our family, in our work, at our, in, our, in our community. And we can say, I got this. I got this. Not because I'm amazing, not because I'm strong, but because God's power is made perfect in my weakness. Here's a book for you, book recommendation along these lines. Leading with a Limp, Dan Allender. So good. If you want to learn about servant leadership, that's the book, Leading with a Limp. Okay, so we're a confident community. That's what happens when the power of God is at work within us. We are a confident community. We can stare death in the face like Paul and say, Oh, death, where is your sting? I am going to charge in right ahead and take ground for the kingdom of God. The second thing is we're a community of power. Now, this power has to be understood correctly because it's been twisted by the church over the years, y'all. There's been, there's been power spirit movements where we're going to bring people in and we're just going to smack them in the head and the power is just going to come through. You know? So this thing has been twisted very violently in the history of the church. But when we say the church is a community of power, what we mean is basically three things. The first is that we are a community who has the power of proclamation. 
Acts chapter 1 verse 11 says the Holy Spirit is going to fall upon you and is going to empower you to be able to speak about Jesus. You don't have to worry about, do I have it all figured out? Do I have the right words to share with my neighbor or or friend or whatever it is? Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. God has the power and he can course it right through you and we have the power of proclamation. That's Acts chapter 1. Secondly, the power that God gives is the power for godly living. Now, you're gonna, we're going to hear way more about this in chapters 4, 5, and 6 of Ephesians, but I'm just touching on it briefly here. You know, and I know, I can't change myself. I mean, I mean how many times have we tried to change ourselves? Okay, this morning, I'm not going to do that thing I said I wasn't going to do. How, does, how much does willpower work? Not very much at all. <laughs> but surrender to the one who does have power is how God enables us to live for him and to walk away from sin. So the power is for godly living. And then finally, the power, y'all, and this one's, this one's so good for me, is power over superstition. If you're like me, I enjoy horror movies. They're just fun. And it's easy after you watch a horror movie to be like, I'm going to be a little superstitious now. <laughs> like, I used to be fine with the fact that my driver's license had the number 666 on it, but I no longer want that on my driver's license. Or if you're like me, before you go to bed, I take little sips of water. I don't like to drink like a huge glass of water, but I know I need to stay hydrated, so I take little sips out of the sink, and I'll count them just because I'm bored. (laughs) But here's the deal. I never stop on the number 13. Yeah, your pastor's weird. (laughs) <laughs> because there's this superstition. We all carry it around, right? You're careful not to step on a certain crack or walk under a ladder or there's that black cat or whatever it is. Because, y'all, evil's real. We feel it and we sense it in the world around us. These movies kind of tap into kind of tap into it a little bit. But we know that there are powers out there. And what the Bible is telling us here is that, Nathan, you can stop on the number 13. Buildings can be built with the 13th floor. Have you ever noticed that? That no buildings that are above 13 floors have a 13th floor? Because everyone's superstitious? <laughs> because, we have not, because not everyone has encountered the power of God through Jesus Christ that slices right through superstition and says, and says this. D- don't take my word for it. It says this. He put all things, okay? Whatever category of evil thing crazy thing, weird thing, noise in your house last night when you were going to bed, whatever it is, the fear thing, he says he put all of them, all of those, under Jesus' feet. And he gave Jesus as head over all things to the church. And it's his body, and it's the fullness of him who fills all in all. Y'all, you don't have to be scared. My prayer, let's end in prayer, let's pray. Lord, hear my prayer. I pray that everyone here today, that our body, Lord, would be freed from fear. Lord, I pray for a renewed confidence, a renewed sense, Lord, that all things, all things, all scary things, including death, are under your feet, Jesus Christ. And we have nothing to fear for those that are in Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here 
who has not placed themselves under your kingship and your authority, that today would be the day that you would move and that you would redeem. And Lord, I pray for, for anyone here who is, is, feels like the light of Christ is dim, like it's a little bit fuzzy and they're moving around. Lord, I pray that you, by the Holy Spirit, would crank up that light. You would move that dimmer to the very top and that the glory of Jesus would shine through. Lord, thank you for Ephesians and for the way, God, that you teach us through your word. It is an absolute delight. And we pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.